0: If you have your copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8 and chapter 9 will be our passage for this morning. If you're using one of those few Bibles, you'll find Leviticus chapter 8 beginning on page 110, 110. I want you to try and picture something. Picture an English medieval dining hall. If you've seen English movies or TV shows, PBS, Masterpiece, you've seen those dining rooms that are massive, look like the inside of a cathedral with huge roofs, right? You've got that image in your mind. The dining room at New College in Oxford, has a legend associated with it, and specifically its roof structure. A legend that is partially based in truth, but appears to have a bit of fiction thrown in there. Here's the legend. Well, what's true is that that dining room was built in the 1300s. When the college was, was being built, all right, 1300s. That's true. What's also true is that in the 19th century, there were issues with the roof. Now, here's where the legend kicks in the legend is that people just happened to notice that there were these roof problems and they discovered beetles that were eating the, the, roof wood, the wooden beams of the roof and they were panicking. How are we going to address these massive wood beams? These are not the two-by-fours that you get off the shelf at Home Depot. These are massive wood beams, the trees of which have to grow for over a hundred years in order to provide the wood necessary at the size necessary for these structures. Well, as they were panicking, so the legend goes... A local forester said, well, when the original designer of this building procured the materials and things were built, he also ensured that there would be oak trees planted at the same time so that if the roof beams ever had an issue, there would be trees large enough at that time to supply the wood. Well, there was, you do the math, 500 years had gone by. And so those trees would have been large enough to provide the wood to replace those beetle eaten beams. Well, the legend appears to be that no such plan was put in place 500 years prior, and there was not this section of protected forest that had been guarded by generations after generations of foresters ensuring that there would be these 500-year-old trees when the time came. Instead, what seems to be more true to fact is that the forestry program of the college was such that there was a regular rotation of particular types of trees that grew together, some of which, I'm no arborist, but some of which were smaller, and they would be allowed to grow for 20 to 25 years. And they would be cut down then to provide wood for... Posts and smaller beams and so forth. But amongst those smaller trees, there were oak trees planted that were allowed to mature 125, 150 years before they were cut down. So that when these roof problems were actually identified in the 19th century, there were trees that had been growing and could be cut down to replace the beams that were being eaten or were compromised in whatever way that they were compromised. Someone had the foresight to recognize Large trees will be needed for certain projects at certain times. So let's make sure that the trees are prepared. They began with the end or the future in view. This morning, as we come to Leviticus chapter 8, the story of Leviticus begins to take a turn. I use that word story intentionally because when we began our study of the book of Leviticus a number of weeks ago, I emphasized the fact that Leviticus is a story. It's a true story. It is a narrative. It's not just a list of cold, bland laws, but it is the story of how A loving God instructed His people on the ways in which they were to live as His covenant people before Him. But, it's possible that over the past few weeks, the fact of the story has become lost on us. Because the story hasn't been carried along by action or adventure, has it? The story has been carried along by a repeated refrain the Lord spoke to Moses saying and then additional monologue from the Lord ensues instructing Moses for the people on how they were to worship him but all along this has been and this is the record of God speaking to Moses from the tent of meeting and telling Moses for the people how they were to worship him And we're going to hear that again, but then we also begin to see some action, some activity. And some action, activity coupled with instruction that helps us to see a beginning with a future in view a beginning of worship and holiness with a future in view. And that's what I want us to focus on. Let's read Leviticus 8 and 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Take Aaron and his sons with him, "'and the garments and the anointing oil "'and the bull of the sin offering "'and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, "'and assemble all the congregation "'at the entrance of the tent of meeting.' And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. "'And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the urim and the thummim. And he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses.' Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it. And Moses took the blood, and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails, and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar." "'But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. "'Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, "'and he killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. "'He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat.' He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And he killed it, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot." Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar." Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die, for so I have been commanded." And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded Moses." On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, "'Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, "'Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil.'" For today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people, and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded." So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar and they handed the burnt offerings to him piece by piece and the head and he burned them on the altar and he washed the entrails and the the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning." Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded." Then Aaron lifted up his hands, shored the people, and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces." Now, in these two chapters we have essentially two different scenes. The first scene in chapter 8 is that of Aaron and his sons being ordained, set aside for their priestly ministry. And then in chapter 9, we have the beginning of their priestly ministry. And in these two chapters... There is a beginning of the priestly ministry of Aaron and his sons, but it is, friends, a beginning with the future in view that will instruct us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear how God is paving the way both for the present and the future as he instructs his people and as they respond in obedience. In order for us to see this beginning with an instructive future in view, there are three time elements that I want us to observe. And, and these will form the structure of our, of our walkthrough and observance in these passages. The first time element is then. Then. So if you're taking notes, the, the first point will be then. The second one is then then and now then and now guess what the last one is now and then now and then all right so it's then then and now now and then lord willing we'll keep those straight as we go along but first the then what what is happening here in chapters 8 and 9 back in the 15th century BC as God instructs Moses and his people. Well, as we make observations, we need to keep one thing in mind. God is instructing with the future in view. This is not Moses' recreation or his anticipation of what should be in place for the future. This is not Aaron's prescription to prepare for the future this is the eternal god's prescription to provide for his people then in a way that anticipated what was to come and three ways that we see back then then as this begins there is a future in mind first of all there's a succession plan There's a succession plan. In fact, there are multiple succession plans at work in this passage. The idea of a succession plan is no foreign thing to those in the business world. It's a popular notion that there should be a plan in place for a successor to the CEO, to a manager, or whatever. And so a company begins to put in place a succession plan to prepare the way for one who would follow. And friends, that is all over the place in this passage. One way the succession plan is in place is do you notice what Moses is doing in this passage? How Moses is functioning? Moses all along has been the mediator. And he will continue to be a mediator. But, one of his roles of mediator is coming to an end. He is passing the baton. Because if you read closely in chapter 8, Moses is really functioning as a priest. He is the one who is offering sacrifices. Why? Because the priesthood has not been installed in office. And so Moses, as the mediator, offers the sacrifices as a priestly figure so that the priests may then take up the mantle and continue on in their role or begin their role as priests. Moses was always intended to be a temporary figure. We see this in the sacrifices. We see this in Moses' being instructed and communing with God. Do you notice what happens? The Lord has been speaking to Moses. We come to the 10th instance at the beginning of chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, God is speaking to Moses from the tent of meeting. We see at the end of Exodus, Moses meeting with God. But notice what happens at the end of what we read this morning. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Now, we don't know exactly what happened as they entered that tent of meeting. It's likely that in some way, together, Moses and Aaron communed with the Lord. Because what is happening? Aaron is taking up the mantle as the mouthpiece of the people before God and also the one who is to speak and teach the oracles of God to the people, which we will see more about next week. But there's also a succession plan for Aaron in this passage. Yes, Moses is preparing the way for Aaron to be the high priest. But even in this passage, we see that Aaron's priesthood is not going to last forever. There's a plan in place already for Aaron to pass from the scene. How do we see it? Because Aaron is not being ordained by himself into this office. His sons are also being set apart. And we'll hear more about his sons next week as we consider Leviticus chapter 10. But of note is his son Eleazar. Eleazar, whom we read about in Numbers chapter 20, perhaps this afternoon, you want to read Numbers 20, verses 22 through 29. There we read of the death of Aaron and Eleazar's assumption of the high priest's office. Already, even before Aaron begins his role as high priest, God is already preparing the way for the future, for what is to come. But the future from then is not only in view in this succession plan. It's also in view in the plan for Aaron's life. Aaron's life plan. Yes, Aaron has a life plan. More specifically, God has a plan for Aaron's life. And there's two ways that we see, at least two ways, that we see God's plan for Aaron's life in this passage that looks to the future. First is in Aaron's clothing. Now, we have a picture here, I believe, of Aaron's clothing that is described in chapter 8, verses 5 through through 9. If you want to read more, even greater detail about Aaron's clothing is given in Exodus 28 and Exodus 39. We're not going to walk through all of these pieces, but the clothing in one way shows God's plan for Aaron's life in this way. That crown, what is described as the crown or the golden plate, the headband at the front of the turban, engraved on that. You can't really probably see it from that far away, but there was Hebrew engraved on that that read, holy to the Lord. Aaron's clothing declared God's plan for his life that he was to be uniquely holy and set apart for service to the Lord as the high priest of the people of Israel. But not only in his clothing, but in the process of his ordination. There's a jump at the end of chapter 8 and to chapter 9, but did you notice at the end of chapter 8 how long this ordination took place? This was not a 30-minute worship service where the people gathered together, all right, this is our guy, and let's move forward. This was a full week process a full week process of Aaron and his sons there at the tent of meeting, being set apart for service to the Lord. This points to the fact, this this time element and this extended ordination points to the fact that God's life plan for Aaron was not small, but it was going to be all-consuming. This is not just a passing event. This would change Aaron's life and the lives of his sons forever. And we see this also. We see God's plan for Aaron's future life in the way in which the blood of the sacrifices was applied to Aaron and his sons. Notice in chapter 8 verse 24. Actually, let's back up to chapter or to verse 23. Chapter 8, verse 23. And he killed it. That is, the ram of ordination. He killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Why here? Why in these places is the sacrificial blood being applied? Because this signals God's future plan for Aaron and his sons in this way. One commentator observes, the blood is applied to the ears... "...to the hands and to the feet for this reason. The priest must have consecrated ears ever to listen to God's holy voice. Consecrated hands at all times to do holy deeds, and consecrated feet to walk evermore in holy ways. To hear God's words, to do God's deeds, to walk in God's ways." The application of the blood pointed to the fact that God had a future plan for how Aaron and his sons were to live their lives as his priests. The future is in view. But not only is the future in view in the succession plan, in the life plan, if you will, but also in the plan for sin. As God gives the plan for sin the future is in view again if we go back to the clothing the future is in view with related related to sin in in multiple ways but in one way that I want to highlight you notice there on the breastplate those 12 stones the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel so that when Aaron would go in to the tent of meeting and into the most holy place once a year. He went in bearing the names of the tribes of Israel, representing them before the Lord as he dealt with their sin. Even in his clothing, the future of Aaron's duties in standing before God, representing the people, is in view. But the sin plan is also in view in the sacrifices that are offered. As Aaron begins to offer his sacrifices in chapter 9, and you can go back and review those if you'd like this afternoon, but we see Aaron offering sacrifices for the people. Notice, in, notice just for example, verse 3, and say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and he goes on. Aaron deals with the sin of the people here, and he and his sons are going to continue to offer the sacrifices to deal with the sins of the people for the days, the weeks, the years to come. The future is in view in how the sacrificial system is going to deal with the sin of the people. But do you notice that the sin plan with the future in view is not only concerned with the sin of the people of Israel. Because before Aaron offers the sacrifices for the sin of the people, what other sacrifice does he have to offer? Notice in verse 2 of chapter 9, "...take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord." And then down in verse 8, so Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf for the sin offering, which was for himself. And you say, Pastor Greg, that's really not that big of a surprise that Aaron would also have to offer a sacrifice for himself. I mean, that's just the way it went because he was a sinner, right? Yes, but what's surprising is what has been happening for the past week? Sacrifices have been offered every day. For the past week, for whom? For Aaron and for his sons, as they are set apart. And there they are at the tent of meeting, not going anywhere for a week. A dad and his sons in something of an ordination camp out for a week. What could go wrong? It's not difficult to imagine that... There would be tensions that would arise among brothers and among their dad on a camp out for a week. But even the day before, a sin offering had been offered for their sin. And yet, the following morning, what needed to be offered? A sin offering for their sin. This is a reminder that for us, sin is ever present. There is on our own No escaping it. It must be dealt with. And God has the future in view as He lays out the plan for Aaron even to offer the very first sacrifice before the people. Even before He can offer that very first sacrifice. Though a week's worth of sacrifices have been offered, Aaron still had to have his own sin addressed. God is is planning for the future. Beginning with the future in view is a wise thing to do. You want your surgeon to begin with the future in view when he or she makes that first incision, right? You don't want a surgeon who says, well, let's make this cut and we'll see how it goes. The plumber has to make a plan and begin executing that plan with the future in view. Otherwise, his P-trap is not going to connect with the discharge. He's going to be off. And so, the sink won't drain correctly. If you're playing chess... You better start with the future in view. If you just indiscriminately start making moves, you got no hope. Right? But when you're playing chess, you're trying to anticipate what is my opponent going to do in the next move? And if I do that, what's he going to do after that? We work with the future in view. And God established the priesthood with their future in view and the future of His people in view. And that brings us to then and now. And these next two will be shorter than that one, I promise. But that brings us to then and now. What I mean by that is back then but not quite as far that has consequences for now. One way that we go back then with implications for now, is a succession plan. There was a succession plan. What was it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Aaron would die eventually. And his sons would take his place. And then Eleazar would die. Even Aaron's priesthood and the priesthood of his sons was only ever to be temporary. It was always to prepare the way for a future priest who would come. Moses' role was always only ever temporary. Moses himself said to be on the lookout for a prophet who would come, a prophet whom the people must listen to. That prophet is King Jesus. And David, as he anticipates... The promise of a son to reign forever. David writes in Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, not after the order of Aaron but after the order of Melchizedek, the one whom in Genesis never died. Jesus, the prophet that Moses foretold. Jesus, the priest that Aaron pictured. Jesus, the king that David anticipated. This was always the succession plan. And this has consequences for us now. Because not only was there a succession plan, but there was a life plan for Jesus. There was a life plan for Jesus. What was the life plan for Jesus? It was for him to come and to live in perfect obedience. And this is precisely what he did. Listen to Jesus' own words about his life plan if you will. Jesus said to them, John 4:34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5:36, The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing. John 14:31, I do as the Father has commanded me. John 15:10, I have kept my Father's commandments. John 17, 4, as Jesus prays to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. God the Father had a life plan for Jesus, and that was one of obedience here on earth, a life plan that Jesus fully and faithfully executed, praise God. There was a succession plan. There was a life plan. But there was also a sin plan. There was a sin plan that Jesus executed. John 17, 1 through 5, the greater context of that prayer, I'll leave, I'll leave it for you to go and read that if you would like this afternoon. But in John 17, as Jesus is praying on the night before he go is going to go to the cross, there. He says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. This is the time. This is the place. This is the point that it is all working to. To the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for sinners like you and me. This is what his cousin, John the Baptist, anticipated at the beginning of John chapter 1. Remember what John said, seeing Jesus coming? Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And friends, there is a glorious truth that not only has Jesus died for sinners like you and me, But God has accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. We didn't address it, but at the end of chapter 9, there's an indication that Aaron's sacrifice and the sacrifice of the people is accepted. How do we know it's accepted? Because the fire ushers out and consumes everything on the altar. A signal that God has accepted The sacrifices that he commanded and that had been offered. How do we know that God has accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's no longer in the tomb. Because of his resurrection from the dead. By which Paul writes in Romans 1 that he was declared to be the son of God in power. That is how we know that God has accepted the sacrifice of his son in our place. By raising him from the dead. Which brings us fully to now and then. It brings us to now and then in this way. Because there is a plan to deal with sin. And friend, are you here this morning? And has your sin been dealt with by the blood of Jesus on the cross? That is where you must begin. That is where all of the application comes home for you. If you don't know Christ by faith. Today, will you turn to Christ recognizing Him as the one and only satisfactory sacrifice for your sin. But not only does all of this have implication for us now in the sin plan of Jesus' death and resurrection to address our sin, but it also has implication because God has a life plan for us as well As His people, as we follow Christ, we are to live out the abundant life that Jesus has called us to live and has come to purchase and to give us. Back in John 15.10, I read this earlier. Jesus not only says, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, He also says prior to that, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus' intention is not that we would simply give mental assent to what he has done, but that that would what he has done and his rescue of his people from their Sin, that that would utterly transform how they live their lives, so that what we read about Aaron should also be true for us. We, as a kingdom of priests, must have consecrated ears ever to listen to God's holy voice as he speaks to us through his word. We are to have consecrated hands at all times to do holy deeds. We are to have consecrated feet to walk evermore and in his ways. This is the Father's life plan for the people of Christ. That's the now. But we know, we know, in the now, things don't always go according to plan, do they? We can, with good intention, seek to strive to follow the Lord, but life doesn't always go according According to plan, as we're following the Lord. Around the time that New College was repairing its Great Hall in the 19th century, the Swedish military was confronting a resource problem of its own. Demand for warships meant that there was a need for 150-year-old oak trees. Foreseeing a shortage, the Navy began planting on a particular island... Oak trees. Those oak trees came of age in the 1980s. You know what the problem was? In the 1980s, warships were no longer made from oak trees. They were now made from steel. Life doesn't always go according to plan. Even according to our plan. Even might we say, especially, for followers of Christ. This is why we need to remember not only the sin plan, not only God's life plan, but we need to remember the then of God's succession plan for us. Friends, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And if we are putting our hopes in everything to go swimmingly and to have no choppy seas in this life, we will be disappointed. Instead, God points us to a different hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 So we do not lose heart. the things of this life. But as Peter writes in 1 Peter, let us set our eyes on the things that are to come to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let us set our eyes on that day when we will worship around the throne of God at the feet of King Jesus. What did the people do when The fire came out from the temple and consumed all of the sacrifices on the altar. They fell down on their faces and worshipped. And friends, this is what we have to anticipate. We have pictures over and over in the book of Revelation of the worship of God in heaven. And friends, this is our succession plan. To look to our future with God. And our appetites are wedded, As we read. And they sang a new song saying... Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then a verse later, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the picture that we have in the setting apart of Aaron and the beginning of their priesthood the picture of your perfect plan for them, a plan that they could not fully comprehend, a plan that we can only discern by your kindness through your scriptures as you help us to see how it connects to how you were preparing the way for King Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the promise, the promise of Forgiveness for those who look to Christ by faith. The promise and the hope that this world is not our home. The promise that there is a day coming. When we will no longer know the struggles of this life. But in glory we will forever be able to declare, apart from the influence of sin, worthy is the Lamb. And praise and glory and honor to you and to him. Help us, Father, even when, and especially when, life does not go the way that we would like, especially as we're striving to follow Christ. Help us, Father, to be people who set our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.